0: The Cambridge Marketing Podcast with Kieran Kapoor, brought to you by Cambridge Marketing College. See their range of courses and apprenticeships at marketingcollege.com. Hello and welcome. This week we are going to be discussing marketing a very technical product, and I'm delighted to be joined by Hannah Cox, who is the founder of HC Technical Consulting and Contracting Services. Hannah, you work in protective coating. Let's start with what that is, particularly for people like me that know very little about it.
1: (laughs) It's, yeah, it's um, one of those really interesting things that we all have to have. So protective coatings are basically like your, think of it like your raincoat. So you wouldn't go out in a British wet winter without a raincoat on because you'll get cold and wet and. Your hair would all go wrong and it just won't be much fun. So, protective coatings are there to do that job. They're there basically to prevent corrosion and they are there to provide a barrier against any particularly nasty environments. So, protecting against things like particularly nasty chemicals or heat or very, very cold environments.
0: So, could you give me an example of where um, different types of industrial um, coatings are used? God, yes, so we work anywhere
1: from a nuclear power station to a classic car. (laughs) Um, Wow. Yeah, it's so varied. We use protective coatings across all industries. So for example, in the construction industry, um, we use protective coatings to protect against fire. Within the nuclear industry, we use to protect against things like very, very cold conditions or against salt water for processing. Um, And in classic cars, weirdly enough, we use protective coatings inside gearboxes because it helps protect them and make the engine more efficient.
0: Okay, And I know you do inspections um, for um, Mm. industrial, which we'll come back to, and also training. But do you actually put coatings on as well? We do, yeah. Yeah. So we do a variety of both on-site
1: and off-site applications.
0: And how does that work? I mean, technically, how do you put an industrial coat on something? God, again, it's
1: so <laughs>
0: <laughs> Okay, let me explain another way and say if for me, I've always thinking about a coating, I'm tending to think about something spraying paint on a car and it comes in several yeah. layers, but I don't think it's, that's entirely how it works, is it?
1: Well, it is sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so there are some coatings that we absolutely do spray. Um, they're designed to be sprayed because it's more efficient and you get a better coverage. Um, there are other coatings that are hand applied. So we use brushes, rollers, spatulas sometimes. It depends on the consistency of the coating, the surface that you're going on to and how efficient and quick you need to be as well.
0: So there's a speed element involved as well?
1: There is, yeah, because a lot of the assets that we're working on, um, for example, we do a lot of work with a company that processes precious metals. So when we work on one of their process vessels, they have downtime. So there is this space where they can't produce anything because we're working on their kit. So the idea is that we reduce that downtime as much as possible.
0: And I have to ask, because immediately, precious metals says to me, golden jewellery. But I don't necessarily think that's what you meant.
1: No, it's um, (laughs) things like platinum. So it's if you think about things like catalytic converters, for example, um, when the cars are scrapped, they have to strip the precious metals from those. Um, And we use precious metals in lots and lots of applications, such as electronics, um, sort of
0: higher grade medical equipment, all sorts of things. Okay. And your business is putting the coatings on. Do you go to client services? Do you have a big warehouse where you put the, the coatings on? How does that bit work? We have both.
1: So we have a lovely unit in Harlow in Essex. Where we apply coatings off site. So, there we would apply coatings to things like pumps, pipe sections, steel beams, and what have you. And then we also go on to people's sites. Um, so, for example, if we're repairing the roof of a large gas tank, we'd have to do that on site because a 40 metre high tank won't fit in our unit.
0: Okay, so I'm getting the, I'm really getting the sense that this is a very wide ranging business with lots of different. Um, types of uh, customers. And we will come on to your segmentation very shortly. But the other side I wanted to ask about was you also do training as well. So how does how did that side of your business come about? And um, how much of your business is doing the the application? How much of it is training?
1: Yeah, so the training's really interesting. So I have always been passionate about training. I started my career as an apprentice. and. So I've always believed in further training throughout my career. And whilst I was on a particular training course, um, the training body, if you like, that oversees that particular qualification asked if I would consider delivering their suite of courses. Um, So we now deliver these training courses, which are a fully accredited course, um, to individuals within the industrial coatings arena. it's probably about at the moment. It's roughly forty percent of our business, I would say, um, and that's growing because people are seeing more and more the need for accredited training.
0: And it's fantastic that you here. You are as a, a business founder and owner, but you you started as an apprentice, which I think is, I think is a really good message for people that you you know apprenticeships are open doors to all sorts of things.
1: Yeah, I think apprenticeships are. I just think they're so valuable because I did my apprenticeship, and then I went on to um, do my degree with the Open University. But without that practical foundation, I don't think I would have got to degree stage, if you like. Um, And I found that through doing the apprenticeship, I just ended up with such a wide range of experience. and the good thing about apprenticeships is that generally you get put within sort of the best teams within that company. So you do really do get the best training. Um, I just really, really hope that apprenticeships continue to grow within our industry and within other industries as well. I think they're hugely valuable.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the type of customers that you have, and I'm very interested in how you segment your customers. So, what sort of customers...? I mean, do you segment your customers, or um, do you just view them all as just one one set of customers?
1: So I do segment them, um, and I think that's really important because I think that although the... So the core thing that we want to achieve with all our customers is basically the same. Um, so that's delivering good quality but they, they all need different things. So for the training customers, um, we tend to have people who are individuals, um, who are you know, just wanting to either get a foot in the door within our industry or who want to upskill themselves. But also within the training industry, we have very large companies. So companies such as Network Rail who want to train their staff to a certain level. So we have to aim our marketing at sort of two different segments there, even just within training. Um, And then within the industrial arena, because we're doing different types of coatings on different types of assets, again, we really do drill down into our sort of buying personas and what each type of segment is going to be looking for, particularly. And we try to really aim at that particular segment
0: Fantastic. So, can we can we perhaps focus on a buying um, persona? I mean, how do you how do you come up with them? How do you use them? This is you know this is gold dust for uh, for people learning about marketing.
1: So, what we do is we do it in two ways. So, the first thing we do is we look at past customers. Um, so, we gather data from our customers all the time in terms of you know who they are, average age their interests and things like that, which is really, it sounds, I think it almost sounds a bit sort of sales speak, if you like. But if you have a really good idea of what your customers' interests are, then actually you know what makes them tick and you know what's make going to make them say, yeah, actually they this company gets me. I want to use this company. Um, so we do that. We use past com- sort of data. And then, what we also do is we do a lot of looking on things, sort of different types of social media. So, we look on LinkedIn, we look on Facebook, and we look on sort of TikTok and Twitter and, you know, all the usual sort of platforms. And we look at what's popular within our industry and then we drill down into why that's popular. So that can really, if you start drilling down, then you can really start to understand exactly what it is that people are looking for.
0: I think that's really interesting, the fact that you're not just looking at what's popular, because I think a lot of us do that bit, but we then don't go the next stage of going, well, why is it popular? So when you're doing that, is that because you're looking for what's the problem that the customer's trying to solve?
1: Yeah, exactly. So I think maybe a better way of looking at it is we're looking at what questions are they asking?
0: Okay, and then how do you use that? Do you then put out your own social media, or do you use that as part of your sales discussions? How do you then use that within your actual marketing tactics?
1: So we have again, we have a couple of different approaches. So we send out a newsletter. Um, we try to keep the newsletter to once a month because we don't want to bombard people, um, and I think there's there's a fine line between too little and too much. So we send out a monthly newsletter, but we have different newsletters for different market segments. Um, And we tend to focus on those sorts of questions that that segment has been asking recently. And we try to put in case studies from what we've been doing um, and examples of where we can solve particular issues. We also um, try to keep active on social media, so things like LinkedIn and Facebook and what have you. Um, we're not so good at TikTok yet. I think that's an art <laughs> in itself. <laughs> but we'll get there, I guess. So again, that's a different way. And then our approach also is we're, we're very active um, in talking to people. So, for example, later today, I'm going to a lunch with a group of architects. So I will be talking to them during those conversations about the things that are going to be of use to them. So I've done a lot of research already on this particular group and what sort of projects they work on, um, who their clients are, and what have you. So I'll be ready to tailor the conversation to how we can help within that arena.
0: Okay, I'm now trying to work out industrial painting and architects. I've missed something. (laughs)
1: No, you haven't. There's quite a nice lead in. So when um, new buildings are put up, for example, there's a whole process that we go through where different parts of it have to be designed by different people. And right at the top of the tree for the paint specifications, um, we get the architects first because they'll come in and say, well, I want the building to do this and I want it to look like that. And then they start to think about, well, how can we achieve that? so they need to bring in paint experts then. So they bring in people like us who will say, OK, we can do this. And it's going to fulfil that need for you.
0: OK. So how do you choose the segments to aim at? Because what you've been very clear about is you can do anything from nuclear industries to classic cars. But the problem with all businesses is that there's we only have a finite amount of staff and time and resources. Mm-hmm. So how do you choose who to target?
1: so we look at sort of market trends so at the moment um so we look at things like construction news um industrial news so we keep an eye on industrial magazine type things um, and we look at what the current issues are so for example at the moment a really big issue is fire protection and has been for some time so we are doing a lot of work within the intramescent coatings arena Intumescent coatings? Yeah, so fireproofing. So intumescent just comes from intumesce to swell, because the coatings, when they come in contact with fire, they swell up and they form this protective jacket around whatever the asset is that they're trying to protect.
0: Okay, thank you. So you're... (laughs) You're looking for new trends, and then so presumably that's where the architects came in. If there's a there's a trend there, or there's a segment there mm. that we can we can aim for. But I'm still intrigued by um, how you decide which areas to, to to target, because nuclear industries to classic cars are really very different. <laughs> we generally look at
1: so we look at a few things. We look at resource so are we capable of fulfilling this need within this industry at the moment? Do we have enough people? Do we have enough time? Um, We also look at repeat business as well. So are there people within this industry and within this current requirement that we have already worked with that we can upsell to? Because I tend to think that if you can upsell to your current customers, then that mm-hmm. tends to it tends to help reduce a lot of the sort of marketing burden. We always want new customers, mm-hmm. but we need to remember to make the best use of the resources we have as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's based on those two things really. It's really driven by sort of resource capability um,
0: and and sort of where the market's going. Okay, and can you see with a crystal ball where the market is sort of? going to go or going to change now? I mean, are things like um, environmental impacts starting to affect your your industry? Or have they always affected your industry?
1: So they've always affected our industry because, unfortunately, we do work in an industry that has the potential to be sort of very damaging to the environment if things are not done properly. So that's always been a huge consideration. At the moment, what we're seeing is um, what we saw a few years ago, really. So when the economy was difficult a few years ago, we saw a trend towards people wanting to refurbish assets rather than um, completely renew coatings or put in completely new assets. And we're seeing that trend start again. So we're seeing people really sort of saying, well, we need to do something, but we need to be much more efficient about what we're doing.
0: Okay. Yes, I always find it interesting that you can listen to economists and people talking about what they think is coming, but actually those at the sharp end can see trends and changes um, coming in much earlier than perhaps the the economists would like us to be aware of. Can I, let's go back one other question I haven't asked, and that's, I I know that you're running a, a A growing business because I've sat on a on a panel with you where we were talking about running um, running growing businesses. When did HC Technical start, and how and and sort of what is it like to be running a growing business? How does it from your side? Because there it throws up an awful lot of challenges. I know.
1: Yeah, so I started the business in my kitchen in 2014.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah, the typical okay, industrial paint kitchen. Yeah, okay, that really works well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, it's, I think, running a growing business. It's scary because you've got mm. so much responsibility, um, particularly at times like this. You know, you've got responsibility for other people's salaries and other people's assets. Um, And you've also got the responsibility for making sure you can pay your own mortgage. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's, I think owning any type of business, whether it's growing or static, is always going to be scary. But it's also incredibly exciting. I really enjoy seeing how things move and change. I'm one of those people who quite likes change. And I think you do have to remember that a business will always change. There will always be... New challenges, new directions, new markets, and what I've found is that the less afraid I am to give things a go and make a mistake, generally, the more successful we've become.
0: I think that's a really good message that actually you do just have sometimes just have to um, go on your gut feel and go, "Yep, let's give this a try."
1: Yeah, definitely. And you know, I've I've done some things where I've looked back and thought that was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> It worked.
0: (laughs) So you started on your kitchen table, and you've now got this warehouse of where where work happens. And then you've also got the training on. So sort of paint me a picture of how you went from the kitchen table to where you are.
1: (laughs) So I already knew a lot of people within the industry from my previous work. I've always been in a technical role since I left school. so I knew a lot of people and I was, I was working for a company and I kept getting offered all of this sort of contracting work. And obviously I couldn't take it on because I was working for a company. Mm. So I decided to go it alone. So I literally set up as a limited company on Companies House and said, right, I'm doing it. Gave them notice. And four weeks later there, I was in my kitchen with a laptop. And what I did is <laughs> I managed to, I got a grant. And the grant bought a very cheap car and it bought some tools. And I started off by going to these customers that were trying to offer me work and saying, look, let me come and do this small job for you. And then, you know, we'll see if you're happy with that. And we'll see if you want to give us more business. And that's what I did with lots of customers. I did lots of small jobs and it worked really well. And I built up enough cash in the business to then be able to go and um rent a small part of a yard um, from someone who was actually one of my customers so (laughs) (laughs) yeah it worked really well so i rented a small part of this yard for um, a couple of years and knew that i wanted to move to the next stage into our own premises and then unfortunately the pandemic arrived and Mm -hmm. So at that stage, we couldn't go and rent anywhere. We were just sort of stuck. We had an office in one location, and this yard in another location, and it wasn't ideal. And then we were very lucky. I got a call from a state agent to say that they had a unit that someone had just dropped out of. Did I want to look on the off chance? And I did, and that was that. And we moved in a couple of years ago, and things have just been growing sort of exponentially, really, ever since. I think because we've got the confidence now because we have that space and we have that settled um sort of feeling
0: and I think although the pandemic threw up its own challenges it also taught us all that you can overcome things you know things can literally stop overnight and you can still keep going
1: yeah i mean we so we really had to adapt and i actually found that that was a really really good exercise for my business because What happened in our case, which was actually really good, is that obviously the government advice to larger companies was your staff are on furlough, but you can still train your staff. So Mm -hmm. they all used this opportunity to train their staff. So actually, I was incredibly busy throughout the pandemic. But we had to adapt to how we were delivering that training to make it safe. So what I did is I signed up to this company I'd never heard of before called Zoom. (laughs) And we started started delivering um, the theory modules for the training that we provide via virtual classrooms. And Mm -hmm. that worked really, really well. And then what happened is that stuck around. So Mm. now we have these courses where we deliver via a, a virtual classroom. And it's brilliant because we now have customers all over the world, simply because we can deliver a particular type of training that they need anywhere.
0: Yeah, it's hard now, sitting where we are a few years later, to realise just what a revelation being able to teach over Zoom was.
1: Yeah, and I think it wasn't just the teaching. I think as a business, streamlining our costs. So in the olden days, I would (laughs) (laughs) drive. in the olden days before DVDs. I would drive and think nothing of driving, you know, three, three and a half, four hours mm-hmm. to a meeting where I would be there for 45 minutes to an hour, and then mm-hmm. I would drive back. Whereas now I just, you know, I just do what we've done today. I send a link through and we have our meeting and then I get on with the day and I can see someone else. And it's it's been much more efficient for us, um, time saving, cost saving. I'm welcoming the virtual revolution, because I think it's done a huge amount for a lot of businesses.
0: Hannah Cox, um, founder of HC Technical Consulting and Contracting Services Limited. Thank you so much for that. It was really, really fascinating to hear such a different product and such a different part a, a different sector, but also how a lot of the marketing techniques are the same. You're still segmenting. You're still looking for cust- what customers are concerned about. You're still looking at trends, but in such a technical area and environment. Thank you so much for your time and insight. You are
1: more than welcome. It's been an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you.
0: The Cambridge Marketing Podcast from Cambridge Marketing College, training marketing and PR professionals across the globe.